go before our Lord in a time of prayer and praise. Um, I just, uh, I know that the Tobars are going to be traveling for Thanksgiving, so we want to pray for them and and their time with Annika. And I believe the Millers are traveling to a funeral today in the snow, uh, so we want to pray for their safety and return. Again, uh, we want to hold our nation up uh, before our Lord. Um, we deserve his judgment, but we pre- plead for mercy um, for our leaders and our, and our people in this country. Anything else? Uh, prayer requests or praises? Pray for Ellen. Anything else? Well, again, uh, pray for the presence of the Lord to be with us in the service. Um, Also that uh, we would be mindful as we gather to give thanks this afternoon of the many blessings that we have and the things that God has done for us. So um, think about that. All right. Let's bring these things before our Lord then. Lord God, we are amazed as we sing the song that how great thou art, that you would send your son to die for us and that he would gladly bear our burdens at the cross of Calvary. Lord God, we gather together here uh, in an empty building if your spirit is not with us. And we pray that your spirit would be present with us, both in the Sunday school hour and the after service. Be with our pastor as he 
uh, brings forth a message from your holy word. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, feed it to us and that we might in turn worship you and uh, bow down before you in a humble spirit. Lord God, forgive us of our sins as a church, as a nation, as individuals. For you are our only hope through your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord God, we pray for uh, the needs of your people this day, some who are out in this cold and who are without food or shelter. And oh Lord God, we pray you would provide for them in some way. Lord, we pray that you would continue to uh, be with those who have certain needs. We pray for the travel mercies of the Tobars and pray, Lord, that they may have opportunity to share the witness of what the Lord has done for them to their family. We pray that you be with the Millers as they travel. Keep them safe in the snowy roads and, Lord, bring them back to us uh, safely as well. We ask you, Lord, to be with Ellen as she is not feeling well. We're sorry that she is not with us this day. So, Lord, we God, God we pray that you'd uh, touch her and heal her and restore her, we ask. We pray for our nation and our leaders. Lord God, we have sinned greatly in your sight. We have turned our back upon you. We've rejected your word. And we have uh, strayed from following after your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we truly deserve your wrath and judgment. And and, uh, we know that um, we are unworthy to ask for your mercy and love. But we do so knowing that you are a God who loves and one who likes to, would uh, love to forgive and show mercy. So, God, we pray for these things that uh, we might be upheld in your sight. And we ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wanted to do a one-shot or one-stop lesson to kind of bridge between where we were with Amos and where I plan to go next time we're together. (laughs) And so um, what I'm going to share with you today is nothing new. Um, It's just, I think, a good reminder, particularly in the times that we're in, uh, to think about these things and uh, to actually evaluate where our, our trust and our faith and our hope is, is located. So a few weeks ago, uh, Pastor John Gaskell spoke uh, in very broad terms about some of God's uh, divine attributes. He made mention of uh, his life's journey and that uh, that journey led down certain roads that were at times difficult for him to travel. Roads that were challenging. Roads that were steep and rocky at times. They were full of difficulties and challenges in his life. And at times, instead of being rocky, he found himself and mired down in the mud in the road. And it was very difficult for him to persevere and carry on. I think we've all experienced similar trials uh, in our lives. And I think that some of us have had much harder times than others. But at times, we've also experienced uh, smooth roads, you might say superhighways. We're traveling with the wind at our back, and in moments like that, we're thinking how truly blessed we were, and why did God bless us this way? I'm sure if we all had a road map of our life laid out before us, um, we could uh, see where the various roads would lead us, and we might seek out alternate routes 
or detours around the uh, pitfalls of, uh, in the road, the, the potholes. Pastor Gaskell said that now that he's in the last miles of his earthly journey and is reflecting back over his life, both the good times and the difficult times, he would not change a thing. He would not change a thing. Can we say that? I know sometimes we gather around the dinner table and say, what if we had done this? What if we had done that? But can we say, I wouldn't change a thing? Because Pastor Gaskell's own finite mind and limited vision of the future, he finds it a great comfort to have put his faith, to put his trust, to put his whole life in the hands of an infinite God who knows what is best for him. Personally, I found that an amazing declaration of his faith. I personally continue to pray for myself that I might someday have reached that similar point in my life, in my faith. I pray that God would increase my faith every day. For finite Christians, there's always some uncertainty. There is always some apprehension and even fear in what's coming next both in the big matters and in the little matters. As far as the big picture is concerned, we know not what one day will bring. We know that Christ will return soon, but we do not know how bad things could get before that happens. Will Putin threaten a nuclear war come to, about, come to pass? Will there be food shortages and more famine and pandemics? And on a smaller scale, we don't know how all of these things are going to sort out. Will I still have my job tomorrow? Will my kids one day accept Christ? Will my friend's marriage last? What about this latest bout of cancer? There are zillions of variables and possibilities in our own lives that we just do not know about and how they will transpire over time. So it is with this backdrop in mind that I would like to kind of address the question today, how can we trust an eternal God in the here and now? In order to come to some sort of answer to that question, I would like to take a few, in a few words, uh, and open up just two of God's divine attributes that Pastor Gaskell alluded to in his message. Now, we could spend a whole series on the attributes of God. In fact, uh, Pastor Henry uh, did just that about 30 years ago at the uh, old Deming's Lake Church. But I just want to touch lightly on two attributes as the means of finding out some assurance in the great God that we serve. So in uh, my opinion, there's no greater subject to think about or to talk about and to study than the one true and living God. Now the attributes of God are something that we will never completely, totally understand here on earth. That's a fact. We will not be able to comprehend them. However, 
they will make up some of the many things that we will worship God for in eternity. These things will be revealed to us over eternal time. And we'll have a greater understanding. Not a complete understanding, but probably a greater understanding. So to begin the answer to our question, how can we trust an eternal God in the here and now, I'm going to start very with a very brief glimpse into God's attribute of truth. Now, I was unaware that Brother Bill had addressed this topic while I was not here, so I hope I don't become too repetitive. <clears throat> As you know, truth uh, has always been in short supply here on earth. And if you need to be reminded of that fact, just reflect on the past political campaign uh, season that we just endured. So in the postmodern times that we live in, the attribute of God's truth needs to be especially proclaimed, especially held high uh, by Christians. The Bible speaks much about the fact that our God is a God of truth. His very words are truth. His truthfulness is based on who he is and on his character and on his nature. God is a true God. He is always true to his word and is always, always reliable. He is the basis and the standard of all truth. And he is the source of all truth and the benchmark by which we can separate truth from error. And scripture often speaks of this uh, as in, uh, in, in these following passages. So I'm going to sign some passages to read just to refresh our memory on some of these things. Um, and uh, kind of meditate on, on the scripture here as regard to God's truthfulness. So um, we'll start. Uh, Matt, would you look up Numbers 23:19? Wade, would you look up Deuteronomy 32:4? Dale, would you look up Psalms 33:4? Ken, Isaiah 45:19. Oh, who else? Uh, Cliff, would you look up um, John 3:32 through 33? Al, would you look up um, John 18:37? And Bill, would you look up Romans 3, 3 through 4? So let's listen to what the Scripture says in regard to God and His truth. Okay, Numbers 23:19. He will not lie. Once, whatever he says, he'll make good of it. Okay. Deuteronomy 32.4. The prophet, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just, without faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright and deep. Okay. Um, some, one interpretation said, a God of truth and without iniquity. Psalm 33, 4. For the work of the Lord is right, and all his work is trustworthy. Okay. Psalm 
trustworthy, done in truth. Isaiah 45, 19. I declare, I speak in the truth or righteousness, declaring what is right. John 1.17. Did we have that one? Maybe I skipped that one. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Uh, John 3.32-33. is true. John 18, 37. That's a verse that I meditate on quite a bit. For this purpose I was born. Jesus is declaring why he came. And for this I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Romans 3, 3 through 4. What then? Are we willing to, to stand on that verse? Let God be true, though everyone else a liar. <clears throat> if you're making a stand with God and everybody else is against you, know that you're in the majority. You're in good company. Titus <clears throat> 1, 1 through 2 says... Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. He promised it before the ages. He never lies. We can take a firm uh, grasp and hold of him, knowing that he's the God of truth. Once again, I'm going to call upon greater teachers than I to comment on this divine attribute of truth found in the living God. J.I. Packard, from his classic book on knowing God, said this, Truth is in the Bible is a quality of persons primarily and of propositions only secondarily. It means stability, reliability, firmness, trustworthiness, the quality of a person who is entirely self-consistent, sincere, realistic, undeceived. God is such a person. Truth in this sense in his nature, and he has not got in him to do anything else. That is why he cannot lie. That is why his words to us are true and cannot be other than true. They are the index of reality. They show us things as they really are and as they will be for us in the future, according to whether we heed God's words to us or not. It's a long list of descriptive terms here of God and his truthfulness. Joel Beakey stated in his book, None Else, God is truth in three senses. First, 
God is truth in the world's metaphysical sense of reality. He is the true God as opposed to all false and unreal deities. Second, God is truth in the logical sense of accuracy. He is the living and eternal wisdom who knows all things as they are and his words are without error. Third, God is truth in the ethical sense of fidelity. He lives, speaks, and acts with unfailing faithfulness, consistency, and moral integrity. It's a lot to digest. Uh, when you just stop and contemplate and think about the truthfulness of God, something that we should grasp, hug, and to um, try and digest as best we can. As with all divine attributes of God, this attribute of truth is not meant to be some study in biblical scholarship. It's not meant to be some kind of intellectual gymnastics. It's meant to have a clear and profound impact on our lives as believers. What kind of impact do you see this attribute of God's truth in your life? Any contributions? As you contemplate God's truth, how does that impact your life? You know, we're supposed to be light and, and uh, salt in the world. How easy it is a world coming into the church. And that's true. Yeah, Dale? That's right, yeah. Confidence, I like that word you started with. I have a confidence in him. We know that we have a trust in him. That no matter what we're hearing on the outside, what the world is preaching, we know that God's word is true. Sure, go ahead. right, thinking his thoughts after him. Uh, I can't remember whether it was Newton, John Newton, uh, the scientist. Isaac. 
Isaac Newton, the scientist. I think that's what he said. He was a Christian. He says all the science is, is just opening up God's thoughts uh, that he's already presented to us. That's something along those same lines, yeah. Very much so, yeah. And, and his word is truth, and he's told us what, what happened. So, yeah. And they're not speculating from a blank slate. They're speculating from lies. Yeah, lies. Right. They can't, let, they can't let God in the door. Yeah. Any others? Contemplate about the truth of God here. So there is one reason right there that we can trust an eternal God in the here and now, because he is true. And whenever we are bombarded, like Cliff said, by the philosophies and the the, uh, uh, rest of the world trying to uh, invade our minds, and we can always go back to the fact that God is true. And what he says is true. So let me start the next attribute with a couple of questions that Cliff's already alluded to here, I think. What does God know? Does God know everything? Well, let me relieve any fears you might have with regard to these questions. Indeed, it might seem like a rather foolish questions to ask anyway. But most Christians would say this is a no-brainer. And God knows everything. And for the record, I happen to agree that God knows everything. The issue of God's omniscience is clearly affirmed throughout Scripture, just as uh, these verses here will describe. I'll read them out loud. Uh, Job 37:16. Do you know how the clouds hang poised? those wonders of him who is perfect in knowledge. Psalm 47.5 Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. Isaiah 46.10 I make known the end of the beginning from ancient times what is still to come. Romans 11.33 Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. 1 John 3.20 For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. So it seems like this is a cut-and-dried issue. Yet some folks might stumble when they come across a verse like Genesis 18.20-21. that verse reads, Then the Lord said, Because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see where they have done, whether they have done these things altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Well, you read a verse like that, you say, Whoa, wait a second. God does not know everything. 
Some Christians, in fact, believe that God does not know everything. They believe he does not know everything, and they will point to this passage as a proof text of it. So, again, remembering back to Bill's lessons on hermeneutics, when you have dozens of rather clear biblical passages on a particular matter, such as God's omniscience, but you find one or two rather obscure passages that seem to say otherwise, it is usually best to run with the majority of those passages and not the few who contradict them. Interpret somewhat obscure texts in light of the rest of Scripture. So as Brother Bill has already taught, uh, a key rule that we must always adhere to is Scripture interprets Scripture. So what about this passage in Genesis? First, uh, as always, context is uh, crucial. Uh, We've seen again through the study of hermeneutics the importance of context when, when interpreting Scripture. So if we were to look at verses 16 through 19 prior to this verse, we find this. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down and toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. When we look at the context here, that kind of refutes the idea that uh, God does not know anything. God already knew full well what was happening. And he already knew, decided that judgment was coming. This was part of his plan from all eternity to make Abraham a great nation. As to the phrase that God is going down to see what was happening, this is simply a literary device, but it makes a very important point. God is a perfect, just God. He does not do things on a whim or erratically or without full knowledge. So when he judges a people, he knows all about what is happening and his judgment is fair and it is proper. I hope we got some feel of that as as we studied through Amos. So here is a reassuring He's reassuring Abraham that the matter is indeed fully investigated and God's judgment is in accord with his thorough understanding of the entire situation. Andrew Steinman's commentary on Genesis states, It should be borne in mind that at this point God is assuming the role of a judge for the purpose of revealing his actions to Abraham. In this anthropomorphic role of judge, he would assemble the evidence in order to render a verdict. So all of this being done for God's benefit, not for God's benefit, but for Abraham's. So with staggering call of his life, God wants to reassure Abraham that everything is going according to plan. Everything he does is good and just, including the wiping out of five evil cities on the plain uh, before him. Yet there are some people who assert that God doesn't know all things. Most of who hold to this position are minority within the Christian community. The most popular uh, who hold to this view are what is known as open theists or sometimes they're called free will, free will theism. They strongly assert that God does not know all things, 
certainly not the future at least. They claim that God can only know what is knowable. And since the future has not happened yet, God cannot know it. A big part of this discussion turns on how we understand God and his relationship to time. Is God in time like we are experiencing one moment after the next moment after the next moment? Or is God in time, uh, or is he outside of time? Or is God in an eternal now? I'm not sure what, how to explain that one, but he's, he exists eternally and, and the now lasts forever. Tradition Christian teaching says that God created matter, time, and space at the same time in creation. So if he created them at the same time, he must be outside of them in order to create them. He is confined, he is not confined or limited to none of these. He's outside of time and space, but he interacts with us through them. So the Orthodox Christian doctrine also affirms that God indeed does know the future, and he does indeed know all things. So as we look across the land, we see a shadow of Sodom and Gomorrah at our very doorsteps. As California and Michigan and other states have shrined abortion into their constitution in this last election, many people expressed a tremendous joy over these decisions. But in reality, this joy over the culture of death is really a spiritual indictment against America. Imagine applauding the slaughter of children. Of those states that had this on their ballot, 68% of the single women voting voted for infant death in America. Unbelievable crime, enormous border and security issues, government spending out of control, the approval of transgender agendas and sexual perversion thrown at us from every direction. It seems clear to me that America has jumped into the gutter of moral depravity and is enjoying it. Wicked agendas are infiltrating, infiltrating societies and churches to the point that even parents are being persecuted and criminalized and their right to raise their own children uh, is being taken away and given to others. We, don't know, we do not know all the answers to these specific issues. One thing is certain, politics run by secular thinking people don't have all the answers. But God does. He knows all things. He knows every step that I take. He knows the very hairs on my head. He knows what needs I have. He knows what will befall us tomorrow. And he knows what will befall nations next year. In light of all this, the believer can trust God without knowing all the fine details of what lies ahead. Again, I ask, how can we trust eternal God in the here and now? God has it all in his hands. And he's looking after our best interests, far better than we can look after our own. As is often said, God is too loving to be unkind and too wise to make mistakes. We can trust him even in the darkest of times. If we do not know what tomorrow holds, that's okay, because we know the, and love the one who does. Again, that should be a re, reassuring and comforting thought on all practical levels. Turn, if you will, to Matthew uh, chapter 6, 
25 through 34. Matthew 6, 25 through 34. A very familiar passage, but I believe it's applicable here. Twenty-five through thirty-four. Dale, could you read that, please? I think uh, those words can easily be applied to all areas of our life, whether we're talking about the big matters or whether we're talking about the small things. I had to apply this this morning when I went out to the car and the car wouldn't start. So those are one of the small matters. You, I don't have to worry about it. God's got it under control. Okay. Sure, we want to be good stewards of what we have, and we want to be responsible when it comes to providing for our families, and we want to be good citizens in our community and nation. We don't want to be reckless. But we need to trust God more and rest in his arms as we face uncertain times and boldly, <clears throat> boldly stare in the face of worrying upcoming events. The 1971 Bill Gaither hymn uh, kind of captures what I've been trying to relate to you today. It says, and because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth living just because he lives. A political red wave will never save us, but the scarlet blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, our King, is our only hope. So these are just two reasons, God's truthfulness and his omniscience, that we can trust him, we can trust an eternal God in the here and now. Any thoughts, comments? right. So we can, in these difficult times, uh, be reminded that uh, we can have uh, faith in our holy God, God the Father. Brother Ken, would you close in prayer, please?